0: Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Anna and I'm here with my two friends Ant and Will. Hello. Hello. Uh, Any corrections this week chaps?
1: I've not received anything so none on my side.
0: Great. Flawless as usual. (laughs)
1: 100% accuracy from last week. Good.
0: (laughs) So we'll just dive right in. Um, This week, we're talking about the year 1649. So the random number generator has blessed us with a year that's only two (laughs) decades after one of our last podcasts. So I hope everyone has remembered everything from 1629, because you never know what might come up. Uh, I would like each of us to give our three-word preview of what we're discussing today. Ant, your three words.
1: Swedish, painting, theft.
0: Ooh, the very Thomas Crown affair.
1: It is the basis of the Thomas Uh, Crown
2: affair. Oh,
0: wow. Will, your words.
2: No British kings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) First time for everything. Uh, My three words are malignant sorcerer uprising.
1: Ooh, I went through one of those. (laughs) I really wish I said the Thomas Crown Affair for IMa. <laughs> uh,
0: we're just going to add it to the list of movies that we need to watch together. Uh, all right. Well, that being said, let's kick off 1649.
3: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: So, for 1649, I have chosen the topic that is Swedish troops vacate Prague. Mm. So, you're probably thinking... uh, why were there Swedish troops in Prague in the first place? And the answer, as with pretty much everything about this time, uh, religion. <laughs> but this time peppered with bits of art, pilfering and theft. Uh, to set the scene, we need to realise that 1649 this is the end of the Thirty Years' War. And in fact, the vacation of Prague... Uh, which actually makes it sound very good. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> I've, I've been on a vacation of Prague. It was nice.
1: That first stag do. Uh, but this is the the last act of the 30 Years' War. Um, this beggars the question, follow up, pray tell aunt, what is the 30 Years' War other than just a war that lasted 30 years? And how, if any way, is it related to the 80 Years' War, which is very similar, but nearly three times as long.
0: Or the 100 Years' War. Or the 100
1: Years' War. Wow, there's a lot of wars. that.
0: Or the seven years. What Sorry, was it called I'll stop wars.
1: on year 28? I think, it, <laughs> I think it was called the Indefinite War, uh. <laughs> the never-ending war. Um, so uh, it, it's actually a very significant war. It's a very significant multi-state war within Europe, engulfed the whole continent and was actually one of the most destructive of all wars of all time, uh, it's estimated that between 4.5 and 8 million soldiers and civilians died during the Thirty Years' War. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. That's not just from direct warfare, but also from famine, internal displacement, uh, you know, the sort of the, the things that the subsequently followed warfare. I
0: mean, yeah, and if you think about the population at the time, yes. that's massive.
1: It is absolutely massive. And wow. it, it, it is so bad that it reduced some populace uh, to 50% of the, the whole state was, 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 was died because of the Thirty Year's War. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, it was it was a real milestone actually in European history. Uh, it marks the collapse of the Holy Roman Empire. It, uh, you know, as any form of significant power, it was the end of the Protestant Reformation, of which this whole thing kicked out off over, and saw the rise of France um, in the sort of political state of Europe and also it was kind of um, international politicking and negotiations became more normalised and it sort of sets the scene for modern politics in, in Europe as we know it hmm. of like these states uh, negotiating and interacting with, at a state level other than just as the king to another household or, or, or the church wise. Sorry, is there a conspiracy involved? In the <clears <time>? <clears <throat> oh, tr- <laughs> just you wait.
0: <laughs> where, are the, where are the Medici's? Oh, the Medici's. <laughs> they can
1: definitely be sourced behind this. Um, but, but they did really cram in a lot in the 30 years, I think, and um, And it's actually very hard to talk about in any sort of um, uh, structured way because if you looked at just a Gantt chart of all the states that existed (laughs) and didn't exist and their participation in the sides they're in over time. It's just Kinwa conspiracies all the way through. It's just pretty (laughs) much, yeah. Um, But the first embers of the 30-year war prior to this, roughly 30 years beforehand, um, was fanned uh, by the peace treaty called the Peace of Asperg um, or Augsburg. Yeah, probably Augsburg. Augsburg. Augsburg, maybe. Um, Anyway, this was just... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Augsburg. This was to settle religious disputes because uh, the Catholic Habsburgs were the ruling class and their Protestant princes in the the states of Germany uh, inside the Holy Roman Empire. They were bickering. uh, Protestants were fighting for legitimacy. And uh, so they came eventually to this peace treaty and they established that the Holy Roman Empire could be divided into two religions, Lutheran and Catholic. And it also allowed any local prince or duke or ruler uh, to determine what religion their fiefdom was and in turn to be able to kick out any people of any other religion that wasn't their own from cool. that thing. So so this is this is a really great idea and it was supposed to make everyone happy. Uh, turns <laughs> out most people weren't. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah
0: huh. they had you to can leave. be one of two things and if not, you're out. Yeah, shocking I, I, that that didn't please everyone. It
1: really did upset anyone as well that wasn't in one of those two camps. Say, I don't know, the Calvinists maybe? Mm, um, those guys. Hold on to that thought because this does come uh, come around again later when the Calvinists are not happy. Um, this has also really not helped. The whole starting of the war, the Years' War, was a slight hiccup of the peace treaty when a, a bunch of Protestants came to Prague to ask why they weren't allowed to establish a church in their Catholic rulers' uh, lands. And instead of like hearing them out and the council and that kind of stuff, they decided to uh, just uh, chuck them out a window. Okay. And uh, they fell uh, 70 feet uh, to, the, to the pavement below. And this is known as the defenstration of Prague, yeah. where we get the <laughs> word defenstration Defen- from. Defenestration. Defenestration, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah. I've it's just
0: a-, a great word. I want to make sure everyone knows it. Uh,
1: this is actually the third defenstration of Prague it happened two times prior to this Uh, (laughs) the first in 1419 um, when the city council they really messed up a prisoner exchange they killed the the captives and that kind of stuff and then the peasants revolted and chucked a bunch of people out the window. I'm not sure defenestrating thing people
2: or things is something that a state gets to apply like an ordered number to like that. Like, yeah, I, I can throw. <laughs> I think it's up to people what they throw out of a window at what time. This well, isn't the f- it's
0: just like how notable were the defenestrations right? that they became numbered? Like right? the first yeah. one and yeah. the second. Oh one. my god, we're in we're in Prague's great <laughs> defenestration era. Well, if it was the
1: third time, you probably were like, which one did you mean? This time or the one yeah, time yeah. two hundred years Maybe before? Maybe
0: at some point you put some locks on a window. <laughs> (laughs) Just saying
1: (laughs) Another time happened in 1483 More councillors got chucked out the window This time because there was a coup Is this the same window? It might actually (laughs) be the same window It's just the one And if you ever get called to city council business in Prague Just avoid anything above the ground floor Yeah Um, But what actually happened is They got chucked out the 70 foot window And they survived Oh And people thought this was a sign from God Sure other historians think it's because there's a massive pile of manure that they landed in uh, but they did they didn't die actually but it did it was a massive insult um, so after this piece of uh, augsburg Asperg, in 1619 there were two groups that kicked off the fighting first in the sort of local um, sort of religious part of the fighting and this was the catholics habsburgs and the bohemian protestants mm. but it rapidly grew from there and uh, when we talk about the 30 Years' War, we kind of talk about it in four phases. So I'm going to talk to you through the phases briefly. We're going to focus on the Swedish element of it, obviously, because that is the most important part, according to this year. <laughs> um, but it broadly divided into sort of religious wars and then suddenly becomes a sort of state-backed warfare. Um, the first phase is the Bohemian phase. It's local disputes based on religious ideology, Habsburgs versus uh, Bohemians. The Habsburgs are the ruling class and the and they absolutely dominate um, and so they just crushed this Bohemian revolt. And it's Catholics one, Protestants zero at this stage. Uh, the-
0: Did the Bohemians get crushed because all of their loose scarves got caught in the machinery of war? <laughs> yeah. They're sort of like flowy caftans. their
1: were... high-ankled jeans, yeah. you know, which is not yeah, good battle wear. They're
0: slouchy bags that didn't have enough weapons in them.
1: Yeah, all those thin cigarettes they smoked. <laughs> Um, that's exactly what happened okay. But and then who comes to the rescue but uh, the Lutheran state of uh, Denmark and the Danish king decides to get stuck in and help his uh, his Protestant brethren um, and from one of the books that I saw and read it said uh, I quote a colossal failure oops <laughs> uh, Denmark had to retreat and they sort of lost their sort of place in the sort of power struggles for a long while and an army of mercenaries you know biting at their, their heels all the way back into Denmark so at this stage now Catholics are Two and are zero, and so this is where the, the war actually transitions from not just a religious-backed, uh, you know, religious fighting, but to a state-backed because Denmark and Sweden uh, were quite close and oh. they were implored for help. And this is where uh, there are also a lot of Calvinists, so they're worried about this Catholic hegemony growing and not having a place at the table, not having a legitimate religion inside this empire. So Gustavus Adolphus, who was the king of Sweden, uh, was on the side of the Lutherans and he was a Lutheran himself. And he's actually been classed as the father of modern warfare. So when we think of warfare today, we think of this sort of maneuverist approach where speed, surprise, you know, all these kind of elements of warfare actually sort of started with him. Prior to him, there was lots of uh, heavy artillery in terms of cannons. Things were like, you know, uh, stayed and there was very much a, uh, you know, sort of structured how he did battle. And what he did is he tore up the rule books because he reduced the size of his cannons. So they were much, much lighter and therefore you could maneuver them more quickly. So rather than just having them high ground, you could then push them around and do counterattacks with them.
0: Did he do a lot of flat packing of the cannons? <laughs> this is exactly, it was it? <laughs> was Swedish way. the little
1: Allen key yeah. comes from this guy. <laughs> it used to be called the Adolphus key. Um, but he also uh, had a strong preference for muskets. So where others Ooh. was like, no, we need to keep the sword forefront of this thing. He was like, fuck it, give everyone a musket. Yeah, enough clanging. Um, it, so much clanging as we know as swords clang. Um, it's pretty unsporting, really, muskets versus swords.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, is this the origin of don't bring a knife to a gunfight?
1: This is pretty much exactly the origin <laughs> yeah. of it. He, he brought the guns always to the knife fight. Okay. Um, this, something really interesting happened at this stage, though. So France, at the time, was a Catholic country, it had a Catholic king. It was very, very Catholic. Um, but they started funding the Swedes. So they sort who were of fund, who were Lutherans. Okay. So this is why the war transitioned from one of religion to one of politics. Huh. They didn't want a resurgent dominant Holy Roman Empire right at the doorstep, mm. and so they wanted to, to, to keep them down. This is the, this, the start of like politicking uh, within Europe, where you chose sides not based on um, religious interest but on national self-interest. Um, and it was actually Cardinal Richelieu, who's a very interesting man in, in history, who was a Catholic cardinal himself. Was actually helping uh, in advising and paying the Swedes, and he also sponsored proxy wars and sort of discontent and fermented like uh, workers' revol- revolts and stuff within the empire to further destabilize and you know continue this warfare by other means in in, in the state, um, just to kind of keep them down. So the next stage of this, after after Adolphus, you know, he had massive success. He sweeped through the, the Holy Roman Empire, down through Germany. Um, he was killed in battle in 1632. Mm. And then as a result, the kind of like the Swedish sort of um, coherence sort of fell apart a little bit. And they kind of just kind of stayed where they were. The funding they, they they were out of the warfare a lot. And it actually switched, whereby the French then seeing this started decided to get stuck in. And it was the Swedes then sending money to the French and the French then joining in uh, in the fight. Um, this phase, the French phase, actually is considered the bloodiest and most confused by far um, because states were switching sides, people were attacking their former allies. You know, there's a lot of confusion, this fog of war that lasted for a while. It was like a horrendous place to live in Europe at this time. Um, it ended in a treaty. Uh, we know this because it was a 30-year war and not the perpetual war that's continuing <laughs> to this day <laughs> the ongoing war we haven't been uh, conscripted into the you know the, the, Habsburgian, the Habsburgian, yeah, exactly. army um, the treaty itself was called the, the Peace of Westphalia sure was uh, where they all came along with basically their maps of who they thought owned land and who they thought were on each other's sides and were very surprised it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme when they all thought they were on different <laughs> sides and stuff um, and they, uh, they they tried to negotiate what the next what the peace should look like Um so the uh, the main point of the treaty, really, that, that fell out from this is that Netherlands and Sweden became independent. The Calvinism became a recognised religion. France gained a lot of ground, both literally and sort of like politically. And the Holy Roman Empire was just d- devastated and mm. vastly weakened, not from just loss of population, but loss of power as well. So this this, lacked, this last act of negotiations were happening. The war was still continuing at, at some drips and drabs. And the last act was in Prague in 1648, whereby the Swedes had encamped after rushing into into prague with you know daring night raves you know they did things but cover of darkness so kind of night stuff. raves or night, night-, night raids sorry oh. raids but
0: okay. can we assume that there were also some night <laughs> waves yeah, of course daring there night yeah. Raves. i mean it's prague so yeah.
1: k-n-i-g-h-t <laughs>
0: <raves>. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to glow stick when you're wearing a full suit of armor then. i mean i
1: think about the ground floor is re- pretty daring and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly um but one of the reasons that they went in there as well was not just to take Prague, uh, but because there's a lot of art and loot there as well. And they mm. knew that there's very, oh. lots of you know, epicentral Bohemia, right? Was... So they could, they, all, the, all the bongs they could take, no one no, no, ever. <laughs> um, but they tried to cross from the west over to the east in the river, over to what's called Charles Bridge, which you can still still stand today and you can go and see it. But there was fierce, fierce resistance by the the, the local populace there's extremely uh, daring do's happening and they repelled the Swedish and <laughs> it's, it's actually yeah, it, no, it, is, it is quite
0: famous <laughs> no I know it's just great to, to think about extreme daring do's yeah. as a <laughs> there's a lot of detail a, I'm glossing over here but no, no. it's just not it's,
2: often said in that plural
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah darings do <laughs> darings do yeah, yeah sorry yeah, that's yeah, it right. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but they 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 repelled the Swedish and kept them on the, the western bank, um, uh, and so the Swedes nobly uh, packed up and left without. Uh, oh wait, no, there was uh, what's <laughs> called the sacking of Prague.
0: Ah, <laughs> dang it! Got,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got you guys, uh, Zinger. They looted the palaces, castles, monasteries. Um, and they think that is basically the historians think that is basically their intent all along, um, and some of these works are still on display in Sweden. Ooh! Yeah, so they haven't returned them, Tricky. and they're all across different. You know, as they've got sold and stuff, all across different museums. Um, statues by Adrian de Vere's, the Orleans collection, and many of Rudolf Ernst paintings. About four hundred seventy-two. Significant artifacts um, that are on display in museums across the world are sourced from the sacking. So the Swedes are kind of—they're kind of
2: cheating, aren't they? Because oh, yeah. they they spent hundreds of years being incredibly imperialistic and going around looting everyone next to them, and then put on this invis- invincibility cloak of mm. neutrality. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Okay, we now, <laughs> You can't touch us. It's <laughs> like, yeah, we got all that stuff. Oh, <laughs>
0: you know, what would be a really back? great way to just totally punk them. Go into those museums, take all the art, and throw it out the window. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the demonstration yeah, yeah. of the Louvre or whatever. Just keep going, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, after the peace treaty, the news of them reached them. They sort of reluctantly gave up and they packed up and marched away, leaving a devastated mess behind in Prague. So this is uh, this is you know, hist- historically significant because the uh, old city is obviously much older because the new one was, was ransacked by them. Um, and this ended the Thirty Years' War, um, which is very significant, ended the Reformation uh, and is the last major religious war in Europe. And it uh, genuinely changed the political landscape forever. Wow. Uh, in europe so that's pretty uh, cool thanks nice. thanks for that Sweden. is
0: i mean i i remember learning about the 30 years war in history and i can tell you that the only thing i really remember is the peace of westphalia so it's nice <laughs> <laughs> to get a little more context of it from that uh from that story
1: you're welcome daring do daring do's
0: you daring did it
1: i <laughs> <laughs> daring did it
0: you, you daring did it
1: so, Anna, what did you learn?
0: Uh, I also went for war. Um Good. turns out there's a lot of it at the time. Uh, and I'm in the Philippines, which I will confess I know absolutely nothing about. Mm. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing how little I know about it. Uh, There's obviously hundreds of years of history to cover, but I'm just going to start with Spanish colonialism, which uh, was from 1565 until 1821. So the Philippines are governed by the Spanish, but interestingly... The, they're overseen by the vo- Viceroyalty of New Spain in Mexico, presumably for time zone reasons. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah easier yeah. No to run one's to the up, Philippines you know, from Mexico.
1: All their VTCs were clashing. Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. Uh, so in the Philippines, there is a Spanish policy called Polo y Servicio, which is a system of forced labor. So all Filipino men between the ages of 16 and 60 would have to go on these work assignments for 40 days at a time. Uh, the jobs could be anything. There was a lot of shipbuilding, construction, clearing of forests and laying roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work was often very hazardous. But, you know, if you're just using forced labor, you actually don't care about that. Uh, no there- health and safety. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of health health and safety. Nary a high-vis jacket to be seen. <laughs> um, And you could pay your way out of it, but of course the payment was extremely high and well beyond the means of uh, most people on the islands. So um, an interesting part of the Polo y Servicio scheme was that the men were supposed to only have to do their Polo near their hometowns. Mm -hmm. um, So at least they weren't having to travel to these far-flung islands.
1: Polo y Servicio, that does... No, not polo y cerveza no not would polo be chicken y and cerveza.
0: well that would be that would be in fact pollo y cerveza <laughs> yeah this is polo um and servicio so like yeah work and service i think um uh so anyway that the rule that they don't have to do it outside of their hometowns very quickly goes out the window it <laughs> <it's> defenestrated <laughs> we might say um and so these men are sent all over the Philippines, which are an island nation. So it's hazardous to get from one island to another, far, far away from their homelands. This unsurprisingly makes people very mad. And because of this and other things, there are lots of rebellions uh, from the sort of native Filipinos against the Spanish over this several hundred year period of Spanish colonialism. There's Basically, a major uprising every twenty or thirty years. So, sort of every generation gets r- really mad about what's happening to them. Yeah, can't blame them. Uh, but today, of course, we're talking about the one that kicked off in 1649 in what is today the town of Palapag on the island of Samar. Um, our main character is a man named Agustín Sumaroy, who was a member of the Waray people, who are native to Samar. And uh, Sumaroy was kind of a notable on his island. He was he had some sort of position of power amongst the the people in his in his town. But on Samar, in particular, the local mayors were disregarding the no faraway service rule, and they were sending men all the way to the shipyards of Manila, which was on the complete other side of the country. Very hazardous work to be done, very dangerous voyage to get there. Everyone's mad about it, but Sumaroy decides to do something about it along with two associates, Don Juan Ponce and Don Pedro Camug. And the three of them start to sort of foment some of this opposition to the Spanish. They rouse men from neighboring towns. They start skirmishing with the Spanish soldiers who are garrisoned there. The Spaniards react, they start arresting people, uh, but then Sumeroy and his uh, co-leaders really ratchet up the tension by killing a the local parish priest in Palapag. Um, Spanish, of course, very Catholic at this time, a large part of their colonization efforts involve attempting to convert the locals to Christianity. So killing the priest is a really direct way of registering your (laughs) anti-Spaniard way to say fuck (laughs) you. Yeah, exactly. Uh and unsurprisingly with the death of this priest, uh it really escalates from there. This kind of rebellion starts to spread throughout the region and onto other islands. Um I found a roughly contemporary account of the uprising, but it was written by a Spaniard, so it is incredibly biased. (laughs) Uh, I want to just tell you a little bit. So, for instance, this is how the Spanish author described the start of the uprising. Quote, as their councils were, were held in the excitement of wine... All readily approved this extravagant proposal. Immediately, the demon offered them, for its execution, the evilly inclined mind of a vile person named Sumeroy. Wow. wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's intense.
0: Yeah, it's intense. Uh, it's Fox
1: News of its
2: day. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know. Just absolutely blasting this guy. Uh, There's another account from the same time that said, there was an Indian named Sumeroy in the village of Palapag, who was regarded as one of the best, although he was one of the very worst. <laughs> was... So
1: mean girls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he was as evil as his father. And then they call his father a malignant sorcerer, which I think is a, a pretty cool epithet um so anyway i read this account and i've tried to take the facts out of it and leave the bias behind and so this is how it looked like things played out uh the the local men the insurgents were perhaps trying to get the attention of the dutch to see if they would come to their aid against the spanish this would have been very bad for spain the dutch are a big power at this time uh but it didn't happen the dutch didn't join in the insurgents killed priests and looted and burned churches they got into fights with the spanish army the uprising is spreading throughout the philippines at one point there are peace talks and one of the captains of the spanish army demands the head of sumeroy from the men and says like this is a condition of the peace and the men cut the head off a pig and send it down the river to him which is a pretty cool fuck you (laughs) um the Spanish beg for reinforcements from Spain, and uh, an armada is sent, uh, but it is full of quote coxcombs and foppish adventurers from Manila. Can you, uh, define
2: cox, coxcomb.
0: <laughs> I I cannot. <laughs> 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 on a scale
1: from one to
2: foppish.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was to say m- more foppish. Okay, got it. Foppishy. Got it. Um, and then along with hundreds of uh, lutaus, who are native Filipinos who had converted to Christianity and were on the side of the of the Spanish. The insurgents will—this is very important for you, given your penchant for military uh, history—the insurgents very intelligently take an entrenched, fortified position in the mountains right classic it's yeah the table of palapag and there's particularly one spot called the eye of the needle that's this tiny oh. opening that only one man can fit through at a time clever that leads to this very narrow path so the spaniards would have to kind of climb a mountain get through the eye of the needle and to get up to I the would fort. Say that's
1: right for caltrops
0: yeah <laughs> there's a lot of i think things being thrown off of forts and things being attempted to thrown up into the oh, fort
1: i can picture this whole home alone yeah. put some tar down a single nail yeah
0: exactly there's The hot iron that gets swung from the (laughs) treetops. Um, but the Spaniards, to their credit, uh climb it in the middle of the night. They climb up the mountain. They are uh it is an incredibly heavy rain that they think is the providence of of God. Because even though it makes it harder for them to get up there, it obscures the visibility. And the sentinel, who is positioned at the top of the mountain, is gone when they get up there. And And then this is great. In the words of this account, he comes back and, quote, perceived the bad effect of his carelessness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because an entire army.
0: Because an entire army had shown up and had made it through the gap. Uh,
1: That is a whoopsie. And they had to go one by one. So he was away for a long time. He was away away for a
0: long time. Yeah, it was a big old oopsie. Big whoopsie there. Uh, things, as you can imagine, get very chaotic. Uh, there are a lot of clashes, but there's also kind of an immediate capitulation by some of the insurgents who just, they realize they're going to lose. The Spanish are much more equipped and even their high fortified position is not going to help them.
1: Can you imagine the conversation with your manager after that happened? <laughs> and you're tr- you're tr- like, trying to frame right, this. <laughs> right, John. So let me get this straight. <laughs> you're aware for how long (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to use this as a learning experience and I think I can really grow from this and so next time when this happens I just know I can perceive the errors of my ways ahead of time
0: 14 hours
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds bad
0: (laughs) Um, can you tell me about a time when you perceived the bad effect of your carelessness (laughs)
1: fucking hell this guy
0: yeah he is a big whoopsie (laughs) Um, and so things go from bad to worse for Sumeroy and and his men the insurgents actually turn on him they kill sumeroy they cut off his head and they give it to the spanish even though the spanish had long since stopped yeah. asking for it
1: they, <laughs> is that because they thought they got it already they just thought
2: that he was <laughs> yeah, looked like a pig yeah it's
0: like <laughs> unclear but anyway now they got ahead whether I think or not that's they be, wanted better it.
2: safe than sorry it's belt and braces isn't yeah it? it's just, exactly okay, like yeah
0: you know you, you've climbed the thing you've taken advantage of the sentinel being gone you may as well just finish the job yeah um <laughs> no word on what happened to his malignant sorcerer father um <laughs> As for his other Confederates, Don Juan Ponce went into hiding and was eventually pardoned for, for his role in the insurgency. But then he committed, quote, crimes that were so atrocious that they hanged him presumably crimes unrelated to this insurgency so he did some bad stuff does it tell you what it is nope. no
1: it, it, there's no record of this No you record find.
0: of it uh, that I could find okay. uh yeah I'll I'll look into it, it but sounds yeah like he, he did was some hanged bad stuff. for this
1: but they just wanted to come up with an excuse yeah, exactly. he was pardoned
0: or yeah. he just <laughs> did something way worse Uh, And then the third guy, Don Pedro Camug, was basically absolved of his role in the uprising. He was able to prove that he wasn't the one who murdered the priest. And I guess they were just okay with all the other stuff he did. So he ended up living a very quiet life and became governor of his village. Uh, Some of Sumeroy's lieutenants kept uh, the fighting up for a while, but they were eventually defeated. And in 1650, the rebellion ended. So it lasted about a year. Um, and it was one of the kind of earliest rebellions against the Spanish. Like I said, there were many more after that, uh, before eventually the Philippines, well, first became an American colony and then gained their independence. Uh, and just one final postscript here, uh, Sumeroy is commemorated in the scientific name of a species of gecko endemic to Samar, which is called, and I'm going to do a great job with this, Sirtodactylus. Sumeroy.
1: I nearly got that. I'm going to need you to say it one more time, though.
0: Here it is. Sirtodactylus sumeroy.
1: I know exactly what the correction is going to be <laughs> next week.
0: <laughs> yes, all the herpetologists can, uh, can write in. <laughs> um, and that is the tale of sumeroy and his rebellion. But before we go, I would like to know what species you would like to have named after you both.
1: Maybe like some sort of flesh-eating bacteria for Will. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> well, that took a turn i thought you were gonna say oh, for it myself? for yourself yeah, yeah. oh no I mean, no, no, no. i'd be
1: like um flesh promoting bacteria
0: <laughs> it was a really pro flesh bacteria. yeah yeah, yeah or like yeah. botox or something yeah strain of botox something nice. that you know all,
1: all the celebrities want
0: that's near really them. good
2: no objections from me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well there we go that's uh 1649 in the philippines
2: Okay, so for my topic this week, uh, as regular listeners will know, I've been struggling so far on this series <laughs> to talk about anything other than major British battles over the future yeah. of Britishness and the yeah. crown, yeah. Yeah. which I accept is a somewhat limited take on the topic of history, which...
1: are <laughs> a few other things, yes.
2: Yeah, it's fairly broad and I've been keeping it reasonably narrow so far. So in an effort to wean myself off battles involving at least one british king <laughs> uh, i am talking today about battles involving other kings oh, okay. okay okay good 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 uh, so this is going to be our first sequel as well oh mm. because i'm going to tell the story about the mughal safavid war
0: ah the safavids. the safavids they're back again our favorite friends <laughs> and,
2: yeah exactly and and uh as many listeners uh, might know if they listen to the first episode yeah. of first our episode, series yeah then they might recognize uh, that abbas the second who will fe- feature in the story i'm about to tell is the son of Shah safi okay. who anna told us about is that right yes yep. so
0: then abbas the second would be the great grandson of abbas the first or abbas yep. the great
2: Sure. (laughs) But I guess if you haven't listened to that one, you might want to go back at some point and listen to it. But not yet. And uh, so for those who haven't listened to that episode, the Safavids are the ruling group in modern day Iran at the time. And the Mughals were a large empire founded in what is now modern day Uzbekistan uh, by Babur in 1526 and they went on to rule what is now India and Bangladesh and Pakistan and bits of Afghanistan and some of the adjacent territories. And this war was mainly about the southern Afghan city of Kandahar, which the Safavids had had a claim over for a very long time. And so on the 4th of April 1648, the year before, um, Shah Abbas uh, II marched from Isfahan, which is kind of in, which is in Iran, modern-day Iran, uh, with about 40,000 troops. Ooh,
1: that is a lot. Which is quite a lot for yeah. that time. Yeah.
2: And first he went over and captured Bost, which is modern-day also or is the ancient city that was in, that's in modern-day Lashkargar. And then he laid siege to Kandahar at, on the 28th of December of that year. So this is right at the end of the preceding year. And captured it embarrassingly easily mm. after a very brief siege on oh, the 22nd yeah. of February in 1649. There was 40,000 of them. Yeah. I mean- right.
1: You know that's not that. I wouldn't be embarrassed if I was, the you know, head yeah. honcho of Kandahar. I'd like, it, I couldn't
2: do anything if forty thousand troops marched and caught me off guard in my house. I might, I, I might, even <laughs> I might only hold out for five, six, seven months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that with or without the help of your uh, eponymous flesh-eating bacteria?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Biological warfare is no, no joke at will, Yeah, yeah quite right. Yeah,
2: treaties for that kind of thing, uh, and, the, uh, and the, and the, and the the short duration of the siege kind of shows how vulnerable the Mughals have become in that area. And they've, they've frankly been coasting for quite a while. And so <laughs> they, they were understandably pretty pissed. They were a proud uh, people themselves. And so they did what any self-respecting empire attempts to do at some point, which is... Wasting time mucking about in Kandahar. <laughs> <laughs> there is a resonance of truth that are echoing uh, yeah, in, but I raise can't your think hand why. If you've been there, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so they tr- they try to retake the place three times, and I'm just going to talk you through the very brief highlights of the three sieges. Now, so siege one, they wanted to go back to Kandahar, and they knew that the Safavids had tried with forty thousand troops. So they tried with guess
1: how many
0: forty thousand and one. <laughs> <laughs> I know and the and
1: answer is going to be much less than forty thousand, <laughs> but I would not want to do without less than sixty thousand. Okay, the answer is
2: fifty thousand troops. Oh, okay, 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 okay. And they turned up and tried to fight the Safavids, which they mostly did on the outskirts of the city. So for many months, they were fighting the Safavids, not inside the city where they could take lots of casualties and not doing a traditional siege, but fighting in kind of open pitch battles on the outside of the city. And ultimately, the weather was against them and logistics mainly were against them as well. And so they gave up and went home. Oh. Yeah. and they were still extremely embarrassed by this whole thing and they'd tried to retake the place and failed so they came back for attempt number two
0: attempt two, here we go <laughs> 40,002
2: so in their second attempt they come back three years later now Okay. So, so, 80, I'm not sure if this is allowed on the dates wise but three years later and, and, and can you guess this time what they tried to do differently so the last problems they had were weather, logistics well the last and that was time
1: they didn't succeed so I'm hoping that they tried to succeed this time
0: if it was weather and logistics, I'm going to say they had umbrellas and bread.
1: Yeah, Umbrellas and bread. Uh, I'm going to say that they did nothing different. <laughs> nothing they different. Learned nothing. <laughs> umbrellas and bread
2: and nothing different. So they, in fact, what they did was the following. They thought that something that might help them might be more firepower. Yeah. Yep. Uh, because it turns out it helps if you can blast your way through the city walls to get into yeah. the city, which is something they hadn't they'd failed to do last time. So this time they went for bigger cannons. Yay!
0: Yay. Big and
2: big they also had problems with, with logistics because some of their animals were the wrong kind of animal the first time. So this time camels instead of
0: rabbits (laughs) (laughs) the pack
2: rabbits are complaining (laughs) they really regret it they got a bulk deal on the pack
3: rabbits (laughs) and it seems
2: so it's like such a good deal at the time but you know what in the end false economy yeah yeah a thousand
1: camels or 500,000 pack rabbits
0: you would have thought
1: at that volume
2: yeah it would
0: would make sense i mean genuinely that's a good question though a thousand camels or 500,000 rabbits
2: so hang on if you've got saddlebags on the rabbits <laughs> what tiny, how, many tiny how many grams how many grams do you get two pairs per
1: rabbit
0: I think you could get maybe 500 grams per saddlebag so 1000 on grams both sides of the rabbit yeah, Or yeah. 250 250 Yeah but trying 100. to I corral them in the
1: same direction I know we're going off topic here no, but this no, is no. very this is, important This is very important um, they're trying to corral 500,000 rabbits must be thankless whereas camels just plod along yeah. and you can drag them by a rope that's 500,000 bits of rope 500,000 rabbit tamers I suppose maybe you could <laughs> do <laughs>
0: It's one to one, yes. <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> one rabbit for Okay, so
1: they only had fifty thousand troops, yeah. right? So that's that's one to ten, yeah, yeah. right. Um, each man, each has, man one, has ten rabbits, has supporting 10 rabbits, him. Yeah, right. And, and each rabbit has one man. In terms of water alone, you're gonna need what five liters a day for the rabbits? For for yourself, the rabbits. I'm assuming are probably <laughs> a liter itself, and that, so you're gonna be carrying like hundreds of litres of water on the back of rabbit. I just don't.
0: Yeah, no one really actually thinks about supply chain when they bring 500,000 rabbits <laughs> to war. I suppose I think one of th-
2: the issues is also that they struggled then during this particular attempt mm. to have anything transported to the siege location that was larger than a clementine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and Throw
1: more clementines at them, boys!
0: <laughs>
2: and they thought that wouldn't be an issue because yeah. of the volume thing but yeah, in the of end it didn't really work out so that was the season, that was attempt number 2 and that was kind of it that's all they tried didn't work and then the <laughs> third attempt <laughs> third attempt there's one theme that characterizes the third attempt can you guess the theme failure
0: I think the theme was having a can-do attitude. (laughs) Incorrect. And got it. (laughs) The theme was good
2: old-fashioned military incompetence. (laughs) And so that was it. The Safavids basically turned up with 40,000 people, walked straight into this city, and the Mughals couldn't be bothered to get their act together to retake it and went through a very uh, costly lessons learned process on Rabbit Logistics. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and as far as I'm aware, I think Did they have the guy that was guarding the the, the keyhole <laughs> there as well?
0: Yeah, exactly. The the Filipino you know, guy
1: who <laughs> saw
0: the error of his way. <laughs> That's where he'd gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next
1: job. Your references? Oh, I don't have any. Don't, don't call them. No I, one <laughs> checks references these days. Yeah. yeah, you worked there for 20 years, but you don't want us to call them? Suspicious, <laughs> like- but you're hired. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And, and, and as, far, as far as I know, there's been peace and a total <laughs> lack of any eventful yeah. incidents in nope, that area ever that. since yeah. in and I think India, the Safavids,
0: Iran, Kandahar, any of the places we've talked about. So the
2: Safavids still rule in Kandahar <laughs> they do, they do. And that it's, With it's the weight of millions of rabbits on yeah. their sides, tactical rabbits. Exactly right. And it's quite a lovely place if everyone wants to go to visit yeah, and sure. uh, enjoy a Safavid rule..
0: I would like to answer my own question and say that I would like to have a species of tactical rabbit named after me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but these, aren't no, you you've got several types, right? So these, these are logistic rabbit rabbits. Logistic rabbits, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The yeah, commander yeah. rabbits are the ones you. Yeah, really on yeah, yeah, you're talking. Yeah, you're talking about yeah. commander attack rabbits. And, <laughs> uh, rabbits
0: with like little eye black under their yeah, eyes yeah, yeah. and like yeah. <laughs> like camouflage wrapped around oh, yeah. their ears.
2: and they don't have they don't have saddlebags they're not not not. solid with such lowly move
0: fast (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) tiny little daggers
2: oh
0: my god this is all I want in the world
1: (laughs) Um, do we need to discuss anything else about this year does anyone need to discuss ever again about this year
2: no
0: I had tactical rabbits on my list and we have covered it so I think we're good on 1649 (laughs) nailed it My little commando rabbits. Uh <laughs> thanks for joining us. That is, I think we can all agree, everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1649. If you have questions or comments, you can find us on Twitter or visit our website, randomly Cool.
1: And as ever, we are now going to choose our next year. So, Will, please, can you boot up the random number generator and put us out of our misery?
2: Yeah, we'll do. It is firing up as I speak. And the next year is 8.51. <laughs>
0: oh, boy. <laughs> That's a really... Okay. 8.51.
1: I can't imagine a lot happened. No. Really? They're just waiting. Is that Dark Ages still?
0: Well, I mean, we got Charlemagne in there somewhere. Oh,
1: yeah. I do love a bit of Charlemagne.
2: Love a
0: little bit of Charlemagne. Which, statistically, how
2: likely is it that we would have got the years we've got? I mean, is it... I un- know. It's I a mean, narrow
0: band.
1: Literally 100% because we got them. <laughs> 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 All right,
2: Mr.
0: <laughs> Mr. <Mats>. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, this is
1: not the randomly generated Maths podcast.
0: But our year, yeah, we've gone from, our span is 652 to 1649. So a thousand year span out of a 3000 year right. window. Yeah, we've not, have we, yeah, not that's ADVC, quite unlikely. Okay, no, no, I've been holding out for like 1986.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the year of your birth. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'm very excited about that. Well,
1: I'm excited for 851.
0: Yeah, we'll see when we get there.